Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This is The Guardian. Hello, this is Save for Later from Guardian Australia, a podcast about online culture and the tabs our brains can't close. I'm Michael Sun. I'm Alex Gorman, recording today from my parents' basement. Today we are talking about a part of the internet that we truly, truly, truly hate. I can't stress this enough. We're talking about NFTs, specifically about bored apes. And coming up a bit later, just to cleanse our palates, we look back on the places online we found joy and even love. This is probably a mortifying story and I'm going to regret telling it on Mike. Look, Alex, this week we are between a rock and a hard place. It's a very cursed rock and it's a very haunted, hard place. We are stuck between Joe Rogan or NFTs, the two phrases on everyone's lips this week. And because our much more respected and esteemed journalists over at Full Story have already covered Rogan, we are here to talk absolute crap about NFTs. (laughs) And so here we are discussing why crypto bros are making fun of Justin Bieber on Twitter for buying a $1.3 million cartoon that they're referring to as a floor ape, which to be honest, I'm kind of here for. What is a floor ape? Question mark. Michael, I'm absolutely going to tell you what a floor ape is, but you need to understand something first. Have you seen the urtext of this, which is Paris Hilton and Jimmy Fallon's video where they compare their Bored Ape Yacht Club NFTs? This is a phrase that I feel like I'm saying quite a lot nowadays, but everything I've seen about this has been against my will. (laughs) Having said that, I have seen this specific interview many a time on my timeline, and every time I masochistically press play. Such an incredible thing to be a part of. Yeah, I, I I, I jumped in. I know, I heard. I'm I, so happy I taught you what they were. You did. You taught me what's <laughs> up, and then I bought an ape. 
I got an ape too because I saw you on the show with people. It's the Paris Hilton guest appearance on Jimmy Fallon where the conversation very quickly and very robotically pivots to the fact that they both own Bored Apes. Bored Apes, of course, being the very expensive NFTs which give their members exclusive access into the Bored Ape Club. Uh Yeah, because you can do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. Animated version. We're part of the same same community. We're both apes. I love it. They're essentially just like really bad illustrations of an ape. Mm -hmm. This is your your ape. Yeah, we it's really cool. Paris Hilton shows off hers, which is kind of like dressed up as like a leather daddy. It's, it's, it's wearing a train conductor's hat. It's wearing some black sunglasses. The hat, the shades. And what? Sick. How did you pick? Because you can pick your, your, your ape. Yeah, Jimmy Fallon's cool. is wearing hot sunglasses and like this weird sailor's outfit. Oh, my, this is my ape. Yours. Yours is so cool. I love the red heart sunglasses. I love the captain hat. It reminded me of me a little bit because I wear striped shirts. It's very strange. And they talk about it in both this very scripted, very stilted way that leaves you unsure about exactly what this segment even is. It's very odd. The audience doesn't really react warmly to it at all either. (laughs) And they also make sure to drop the name of the platform that they use to buy Mm -hmm. their board ape, your club NFTs. Mm -hmm. Dude, look at us. They look like they could be friends. They're buddies. (laughs) (laughs) Are you confused? Well, don't worry, because today we'll be talking about what these NFTs are and why influencers like Logan Paul and KSI and other celebrities have bought into it. Board Ape is owned by a company called Yuga Labs and they have been doing an absolutely roaring business with their kind of very exclusive drops. Board Ape Yacht Club is an NFT collection of 10,000 different Board Ape NFTs. That's essentially the product that they sell is a digital illustration of a monkey in a costume. Mm-hmm. 10,000 unique apes um, that all have their own individual tokens. And sales of these costume monkeys have passed a billion dollars this year. They have an official partnership with Adidas. Digital images of apes selling for hundreds of thousands and in some case over a million dollars. The company was founded by four anonymous people and over the weekend BuzzFeed News actually revealed the identity of two of the anonymous founders who turn out to both be 30-something Floridian men with liberal arts degrees, much to our shock it's just so much like i feel like it's such a deluge of information that every single day something else cursed gets revealed about the world of board apes and the world of nfts and it feels like a giant sociological experiment to me i'm like how how much of this content can i see on the internet before i have a mental breakdown i i completely agree with everything you're saying but the one thing that i'm here for with board apes in particular is that it reminds me of the kind of golden age of mean red carpet commentary except now, instead of mercilessly judging and roasting celebrities for their outfits, we're mercilessly judging and roasting celebrities for their choice in NFTs. And if you're someone who doesn't kind of pay attention to the world of NFTs generally and doesn't know anything, you can just look at it and go, well, you paid $200,000 for a cartoon of a monkey and that's inherently funny. But even within the NFT community, some celebrities are making the NFT equivalent of a board ape red carpet blunder or wardrobe malfunction. I'm talking in particular about Justin Bieber. I feel like I've seen the board ape he bought. It looks like a, quite a stripped back design. You know, it was an ape who was just wearing a black t-shirt, not much else adornment wise. That's a floor ape. 
Yeah, so basically Justin Bieber has not bought one board ape. Over the past seven days, he's bought two. The first ape, which is being referred to as a floor ape, was a really simple design where the ape was just wearing a black T-shirt and kind of had welling, watering eyes. It looked like it was about to cry. And the reason why the crypto bros are roasting him is because basically... All of these apes are judged by how rare their different design choices are in the universe of the Bored Ape Yacht Club. And the floor ape means that none of the things that the ape is wearing are that rare or uncommon. And the kind of entry point price for one of these things is around 200,000 US dollars, which is already insane. And he paid 1.3 million. So, so he got scammed. Yeah, basically. So on one cryptocurrency account, and this this tweet has had over 2.1K favorites, is someone saying, next time you think you're down bad, just remember that Justin Bieber bought a floor ape for 500 Ethereum, so $1.3 million. Someone else saying, Justin Bieber really paid five times the board ape floor price for an ape with no rare traits. He just got finessed. And then three crying face emojis. Whomst among us has not paid five times the amount too much because of doing lack of research? You know, I actually feel like Justin Bieber buying a highly overpriced board ape, maybe the most relatable out of like all celebrity purchases. It's like just like a dumb purchase. I'm really glad that he got scammed. So what makes me so happy about this is rather than just like accepting that he'd been scammed and doesn't understand NFTs, taking the L and moving on, he a few days later doubles down and spends much less money, but still 400,000 US dollars on another Bored Ape Yacht Club NFT, this one that does have rarer traits. And I was reading a kind of sneaker hype beast blog who have done a full-blown fashion critique of Bieber's new ape, where they describe it as a cool friend compared to his teary-eyed companion. They say it has pink fur matched with an icy grin and traditional bored eyes. It has a cobalt blue bandana hat to finish its look. And in their kind of like real critique area, they say, this ape is a bit rarer than his previous one with its diamond crusted smile and headpiece ranking below 1% in rarity, which I do not fully understand, but fully embrace in its insanity. I truly, I mean, this is the end times, obviously. Like, that's not a new sentiment by any measure. I feel like the one that really set me over the edge, because, you know, it's it's Paris, it's Justin, that's fine. The one that sent me over the edge was Gwyneth Paltrow posting about her board ape. Gwyneth Paltrow is someone I hold in very high regard in my mind, posting this video of her ape, which takes off a kind of hat slash wig scenario and reveals a mane of gorgeous blonde locks, much like Ms. Paltrow, Ms. Goop herself. Is it holding a jade egg? It's unfortunately not holding a jade egg, but I wish it was. Well, not rare enough. (laughs) This is an epidemic. You know, we have Justin, Paris, Gwyneth. Reese Witherspoon has started her own line of NFTs. To no one's surprise, it's like a very girl boss line. It's called World of Women. And its tagline says, a celebration of representation, inclusivity, and equal opportunities for all. Um, As long as you're a rich woman in Hollywood. Who can afford to sink tens of thousands of dollars into it? market that is at very best highly speculative. (laughs) 
I also saw many people on Twitter roasting Serena Williams um, for posting about her board ape, which she was gifted from her husband, who, who is the founder of Reddit. So to no one's surprise, she she's also very in on the tech world now. Like, it's just the most random people own these. So to me, I reckon, like, because, you know, the pandemic is still kind of on, we've got less red carpet opportunities. To me, this, like, celebrity embrace of the NFT is just because, like, celebrities need to be judged for something. Like, they need to put something out there, even if it's tacky, and have the the viewing public just take it in and critique. What are your feelings? See, I think this may be leading too hard into the conspiracy theory of it all, but I actually feel like the celebrities themselves, most of them at least, I can't see them actually believing in this. I don't think they're, they're doing this of their own accord. Um, and in fact, I, I saw this very enlightening substack last week from a writer called Max Reed, and he has basically mapped out many of the celebrities who are involved in crypto and NFTs. It's like... He's essentially created this huge, very techie mind map. It looks like something out of like a declassified a 90s FBI document. It's a flowchart, exactly. Um, and it maps out the intricate web of, of relationships between multiple celebrities, their agencies, their partners, their friends, their families, the projects they're involved in, the NFT platforms, and then NFTs like like the Bordet. Basically, it shows us this very intricate web and shows us that they're all interconnected. So, you know, perhaps I'm being too much of a conspiracy theorist, but it does seem like all of the NFT promotion, which is coming from celebrities, is just them doing favours for friends of friends of friends of friends. Because as we all know, the more people that buy into an NFT, the richer the market gets and the richer they become. When you say you don't think the celebrities actually believe in it, isn't believing in NFTs believing that you can convince enough gullible people to part with more of their money than you have in order to drive up market prices? I mean, they believe that they can get rich from it, right? Like, they believe they can own the scheme and maybe they're right. Maybe we have been so beguiled. Maybe it's all a pyramid scheme. Or maybe they just really like expensive JPEGs of really ugly drawings. Is there is there a celebrity that you would purchase an NFT from? Mm. Like, who would, who would suck you in? That's a great question. I feel like... <laughs> Do you know someone who actually would suck me in is none other than Brie Larson herself. I think Brie Larson, one of the most insane celebrities on the internet. That's a whole episode on its own, like just going through Brie Larson's Twitter and reading every single tweet she's ever made. I think she's just insane enough that I'm like, you know what? I'm sold. Maybe maybe I'll also buy like a flower girl NFT that she's selling. Well, yeah, I was going to say you are in luck because Brie Larson is already selling NFTs. Mm-hmm. Same question for you. Who are you buying an NFT from? So I think the only celebrity that could convince me to buy an NFT, and it's more specific than that, the only NFTs that I would purchase are NFTs representing every ridiculous purchase that Nicolas Cage made in order to drive himself into bankruptcy. So the haunted New Orleans mansion, the $400,000 dinosaur skull, the rare octopus, the super poisonous cobras. I would buy NFTs of Nicolas Cage's insane purchases that sent him broke. If, uh, if the money went directly back to Nicolas Cage. You are single-handedly funding the cage Um, You're doing a service to the world, Alex, actually. May we get more Nick Cage movies just because of your purchases? And I think it's also just a really, like, beautiful illustration of what NFTs are. And I kind of wonder, Michael, should we, should we define NFTs, given that we've just spent the last few minutes chatting about them? 
No, love heart. Yeah, I don't think we should either. I think we should probably do a whole episode on this at some point. Maybe bring someone who can tell us what an NFT is in. Look, I feel like on my to-do list, number one, Brie Larson Twitter episode. Number two, NFT episode. Maybe <laughs> one of those will come to fruition. Listen out. All right, we are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, a long-lost friend rejoins the podcast. Plus our recommendations from the week. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. We've just been talking about the extremely violent, extremely hateful topic of NFTs. Um, I feel like as a counterpoint, Alex, we need to bring in some joy into this podcast. I'm talking about joy specifically in the form of love. And here to talk to us all about love is longtime listener, first-time caller, one-time host, friend of the pod, Steph Harmon. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me on this segment and not the NFT one. Welcome back to the podcast. (laughs) Thank you so much. So, Steph, Valentine's Day is coming up, and I know this because I've been sent about 600 press releases for about 600 dating apps in the last few weeks. And as we all know, the apps are the most toxic hellfires. People get scammed, they get ghosted, they get sent unsolicited dick pics. But there are beautiful connections that can be made online too. Michael and I both have our own stories, but you're here because yours is the best one. It's one that's going to transport us back in time. Take me back, Steph. I think, look, before I get into this story, I think I like, I make a lot of like apologies for the old internet and I I need to like (laughs) preface it by saying, I know a lot of bad things were happening online back in the day. And we all think the internet that we're existing in now is the worst and it used to be better. Look, I want to take everyone back to ICQ. This is like a pre-MSN, pre-Facebook, pre-Google chat messaging service, which was my sole connection to Australia when I was between the ages of seven and nine. So my family shipped us off to Malaysia and I was desperately homesick. I was seven. I think when I started online, we were quite early adopters. So this would have been like 1993, 94. And I think I would have been like a year after that where I got myself an ICQ login. Steph, do you think you could give us a little impersonation of the sound of an ICQ message coming in? Eh-oh. Eh-oh. <laughs> Love that. ICQ had this like little widget or chat thing where you could basically randomly find anyone around the world and instantly message them. 
So it's like chat roulette without the video. It was basically like MSN though, right? Like, I mean, it was just like connecting with other people who had accounts in a chat box. I would just kind of constantly randomly chat people until I found someone else in Australia because I was bored and lonely and had no friends. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's how I connected with Shadow was his name. We all had different <laughs> names. Uh, would you like to ask me mine? I would very much <laughs> like to ask you yours. It was Stasis. And I don't know why. I don't even think I knew what that meant. It just sounded... It Jeez, sounded... that's very um, advanced for a seven-year-old. That's why you're now the culture <laughs> editor of Guy in Australia. <laughs> Does anyone want to guess what my first message would have been? I'm really scared. ASL. Oh, yes. yes. <laughs> oh, she dropped an ASL. Age, sex, location. So basically very rude to like randomly introduce yourself to a stranger by asking age, sex, location, question mark. But that was how we did it in the day. I think people still probably do it. It's the only way to get the key information. <laughs> I would race home from school every day and I can't put words in his mouth, but let's call him Ben. Would do the same and we would wait until each other's little green lights went on and our time zones like combined to form the beautiful relationship that would transpire and we would chat to each other every single day for maybe about six years. Do you remember what you talked about? We talked about everything. Like I remember very vividly being, so I was eight, he was nine. We were chatting through like puberty. Like we were chatting through first crushes. Mm. We were chatting through all of that stuff. We would do dumb things. Like we would prank people together. We'd go onto Yahoo message boards and pretend to be other people and he had some software which you could send to people and they would download a kind of hacking tool into their system and you could open their disk drives remotely. I remember we did that a lot. Oh, so you you did cyber crimes together. Yeah, we did some cyber crimes, but like very pain-free ones. Fortunately, <laughs> under under the age of criminal responsibility at the time, no admissions. <laughs> but it was it was like quite a beautiful kind of like early internet friendship. And I remember just so fondly, just like how excited I would be when he was online and I was online at the same time. This is such a great coming of age story for both of you. Like, I feel like this is your pen 15. At the same time, like, let's be real here. We live in 2022. We've all seen the Tinder swindler. Is this story going to end with you being catfished, Steph? Is he really a nine-year-old from Wollongong? Uh, thank you so much for asking. So basically, I think probably coinciding with puberty and I moved back to Australia. After about four or five years, I would say we kind of stopped chatting so frequently. Our relationship kind of went into like maybe two or three years without anything. And I got this email out of the blue when I was 15, just saying, hi, it's Shadow, lol. Something along those lines. <laughs> I'm turning 16. I know you're back in Sydney. I thought it would be really funny for us to meet. It's my birthday. Why don't we go to the Easter show? That's so oh, cute. My heart. Of course, was immediately like, yeah, that sounds super fun. And then like vomited for like the two months leading up to it. I was so <coughs> nervous. My parents had been like, and this is another thing about early internet, right? I don't think this would happen today. I don't think your parents would allow you unsupervised, randomly DMing some dude who's claiming to be a nine-year-old boy for that long, you know? But they, you know, I talked about them all the time. They'd, I'd grown up with this ethereal presence, you know, in my life in many ways. And a shadow, like, if you will. A shadow, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so basically my parents were like, yep, that sounds great. He's absolutely not allowed to meet you without us being there. <laughs> and in fact, he has to come to our house. We are going to make you stay in your room until we've sat him down on the couch, interrogated him, and then we'll let you out if it seems like he's legit. Good parenting. And he was. So... It did end up being a first date. We went to the Easter show together. We had like the nicest time of all. 
He stayed the night in my parents' guest room because he was from Wollongong and they didn't want him driving home at night. And it did end up being my first relationship. And it did end up lasting for two years of my life. And it was an extremely sweet, innocent way to begin anything. Like as a eight-year-old logging on to a now defunct chat system and randomly connecting with someone else in the universe, it worked out. And that is like a story I always think about when I try to defend the internet, because I think there are so many horrible interactions people have. There are so many toxic spaces. There's so many reasons to despise what it has done. But back then, and probably still today, there's some beauty to be found. Look, I've told this story in an earlier podcast episode before, but I am just cheating and bringing it back because, like Steph, I have also had an early internet online boyfriend. Um, We met actually in a virtual reality game. I liked the look of his character. We started talking. (laughs) I like the look of your character. (laughs) (laughs) We were talking on like MSN Messenger for, I would say like a couple months up to a year. Of course, this entire thing was founded on a lie because we also started out with the classic ASL, ASL. um, And then because I was, I spent most of my adolescence obsessed with moving to Canada for no discernible reason whatsoever. (laughs) Like literally it got to the point where I would be looking up how to actually move to Canada. Why Canada? Yeah. My parents asked me the exact same question. And I think the only answer I could come up with is that it was like a French America. And I was really into being French and I was really into the idea of America. So I was like, well, maybe I'll just move to Montreal. Wow. Anyway, none of this explains why I told this guy that I was like a 17-year-old living in Ottawa. Oh, yeah. Famously not not, not one of the French colonies. <laughs> Famously not Montreal. <laughs> Famously no, nowhere near a French-speaking area of Canada. But the entire relationship was was him sending me Death Cab for Cutie songs and me frantically Googling facts about Ottawa while he quizzed me on, you know, like th- <laughs> things to do in Canada. <laughs> so. And you're calling this like, like a, I mean, was this kind of a relationship or, I mean, you were catfishing him. So how, how long did it last? <laughs> I feel like surely we, I actually think that we were both catfishing each other. I think the more I think back on it, I'm like, there's no way this guy was some like 18 year old from Illinois as he so claimed. And I think it was almost a crash course on... Canada. On, on Canada <laughs> and creating a personal brand online. <laughs> I tried online dating for about two weeks for an article for Elle magazine. Um, Can I just interject here? Who amongst us hasn't tried online dating for an article? <laughs> it really was for an article. I got assigned it. I didn't even pitch it. I didn't pitch it because I wanted to try it. I got assigned it. This was... A couple of months after Tinder had launched in Australia. So, you mm-hmm. know, doing it for the story. The story was called The State of Dating in 2013. Oh, you actually got it published because mine wasn't. I did okay, Cupid, and I was telling everyone <laughs> it was for a story and it wasn't. Uh, mine was <laughs> mine was legitimately for a story. First issue of Elle magazine. You can still read it. But anyway, after two weeks of like detailed reporting, kind of going on Tinder, <laughs> going on a few dates. Detailed reporting such as going on Tinder. Detailed reporting <laughs> such as going on Tinder. I ended up actually meeting my husband on Tinder. <laughs> So very, very rom-com, very much not an online dating story that is uh, aligned with many of my friends' experiences of that app or that universe, but one that I am very kind of lucky to have had. I feel like your online love story is not complete without explaining your wedding in lockdown. Yes, it's true. In addition to meeting online, uh, Micah and I also got married online. I logged on and it was an absolute highlight of early pandemic. 
But Michael, what I want to know is like, because, you know, Steph and I both met our first or early kind of high school boyfriends on the internet. Primary school. But not through online dating, (laughs) primary school boyfriend for you, because online dating websites, I'm sure they did exist, but you can't like log on to, I guess it would have been RSVP or match.com at that point as a teen and try and find someone. But Michael, the apps were already around when you were a teenager. What was it like growing up in a world with only the apps? I was going to say straight up, we had teen Tinder in high school. What is teen Tinder? <laughs> like, I, like, as, like, like when I was in U9 or U10, Tinder had already been around for, for a little while, I think, and they'd introduced a feature where if you were under 18, you could be on Tinder with all the other like under 18-year-olds and you could be chatting to people on Tinder. So it's actually, is it part of Tinder? Is- it's part of Tinder. Yeah, it's Tinder. It's the same app. It's just age-gated. So if you're over 18, you don't get to access the teens. I have such mixed feelings about this existing. Curiosity got the better of me as we were having this conversation and you will all be incredibly relieved to know that in 2016, Tinder banned teens from using the service. Oh, good. Oh, good, 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 good. (laughs) So I was in the golden era. I have to like bring in, there's this writer, Alex Bulk, who co-founded a website called The Owl, A-W-L, which is like maybe one of the last great websites of the good internet era. Um, And he's written up his three rules of internet. The first law is everything you hate about the internet is actually everything you hate about people. (laughs) The second second is the worst thing about the internet is knowing what everyone thinks about anything. (laughs) But the third one, which is very relevant to this discussion, is if you think the internet is terrible now, just wait a while. The moment you were just in was as good as it got. So we're all going to continue being nostalgic for every single moment of internet that's passed us by. My thinking is, though, that, like, yeah, in 10 years there's going to be people looking back at this time and thinking this is the beautiful era of the internet because there are still places where serendipity can happen and there are still spaces where people feel safe. All right, so... We've convinced Steph to stick around until the end of the episode, which we're very excited about because we're all picking our favourite things from this week. And I'm going to throw to Steph first. Steph, what is top of your list? Uh, I am obsessed with Station Eleven. I started on it really quite late. I think most people with great taste have already shoveled it up like little piggies, but I'm on episode oh, four. So good. <laughs> it's a post-apocalyptic dystopian mini-series that's based on an Emily St. John Mandel novel. It's on Stan. It's just one of the most gorgeously shot things I've seen in a while as well. Um, and spoiler alert, it stays good the whole way through. Yay! Yeah, that's it. I'm not going to spoil anything else about it. Just everyone go and watch it. Michael, what about you? I have been listening to one particular album on repeat this week. Um, it's called Visiting the Well by a Philadelphia artist called Pleasure Systems. Um, it's actually a very depressing album. It's an album that's written about the artist's partner having passed away from cancer. So it's a very depressing listen. You've got to be in the right headspace for it. But I blame my exclusively sad music taste on my Death Cab for Cutie stan online boyfriend of yours. So you can go and message him with all your complaints. <laughs> Alex, what is your top of the list this week? So famously, I'm recording this episode from my parents' basement and my top of the list is also an album. It's uh, not out yet. It comes out on February 16, but it's Pray For by Alice Glass. And I love it because it is 
so deeply goth. It's also it it's kind it's got some bangers on it, but they are very traumatic, pain-soaked bangers. Alice Glass has a quite extraordinary background story, and the background story of this album is tied in with that. She used to be in a band called Crystal Castles, and every bit of pain and hurt that came from her experiences has been funneled into this record, but it also has like very dance influences. And it's just, it's just the most goth thing in a very kind of cathartic, amazing way. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening and thank you to Steph for coming on and bearing her soul. If you like the show, you should absolutely subscribe to Save for Later wherever you get your podcasts. You can also leave us a review, but really only a nice one. We have very thin skins. This episode was produced by Miles Herbert and Joe Koning, who also handcrafted the music. It was executive produced by Miles Martignoni and Steph Harmon. We're going to be here again next week, working through our tabs once again. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.